Welcome to the enchanting world of nursery rhymes, where childhood memories and timeless tales intertwine. Join us on the A Tisket Tasket podcast as we embark on a delightful journey through the rich history and captivating origins of beloved nursery rhymes. Tune in for an exploration that will delight nursery rhyme enthusiasts and folklore aficionados alike. And now your host, Gina. Hello and welcome to a Tisket Tasket podcast. I'm your host, Gina. And today we are going to have a second episode talking about the nursery rhyme, Little Robin Redbreast. Before we get started today, just a few things to go over. I'm looking for your support to help me get out to Portland, Oregon this November to speak at the American Folklore Society's conference. Please see my website, link in the description below, and how you can contribute to making this podcast happen. Now, let's get started on episode number 33 by talking about Little Robin Redbreast. As I was researching, it occurred to me that there was more than one nursery rhyme with the first line, Little Robin Redbreast. I should first say that nursery rhymes do not usually have definitive titles, but are often categorized by their first lines. John Orchard Halliwell, well known to this podcast as a nursery rhyme researcher, used this categorization with the Folklore Society, and other researchers have fallen suit. Thus, it sometimes makes it difficult to differentiate between versions. To recap, the nursery rhyme I talked about last week was the following. Little Robin Redbreast sat upon a rail. Nibble Dobble went his head. Whittle Waggle went his tail. Little Robin Redbreast came to visit me. This is what he whistled. Thank you for my tea. So that is the version I talked about last week. We covered the naughtiness of the first version. We talked about the superstitions around Robin and around other birds. And I encourage you to listen to it if you have not already. However, this week's nursery rhyme is the following. Little Robin Redbreast sat upon a tree. Up went Pussycat and down went he. Down came Pussy, and away Robin ran, says Little Robin Redbreast, catch me if you can. Little Robin Redbreast jumped upon a wall, Pussycat jumped after him and almost got a fall. Little Robin chirped and sang, and what did Pussy say? Pussycat said meow, and Robin jumped away. I also realized that after I finished last week's episode and before I uploaded it that I used audio of the of this version as well so I didn't even I don't think included audio of the first version that I read and that's because when I went to go back and research and try to find audio I could not find any recording of it anywhere and I don't know if it was because it was so short I don't know if if it was because of the first version included a naughty, naughty lyrics about flatulent humor. I have no idea. But you did hear audio versions of this week's poem. For this episode, for this week, I will play different audio versions of the rhyme than I played last week. 
But for now, let's talk about the history of this particular version of Little Robin Redbreast. When I looked to see if this nursery rhyme had a round folk song index number, it appeared to share the same entry as the rhyme I talked about last week, which was 20,612. And it was very annoying to see that entry because they are two different versions. Scholars like Opie and Opie see these rhymes as two independent entries. And in my research, I have not found evidence suggesting that they are the same rhyme, except the Rald Folk Song Index number, and the Wikipedia entry. When reviewing the Oxford Dictionary of Nursery Rhymes, the editors have them as separate entries, and thus I would categorize them as two different poems, not only because I believe the Opies, but also because their histories are slightly different. They appeared at different times. Now, it could be that this version was just an elongated version of the first one I read because it did appear after 1744, which the version I read last week, that's where it was first published in Tommy Thumb's songbook. However, I'm going to go with my gut and I'm going to say that these are two different nursery rhymes and we should consider them as such. So, what is the origin of this nursery rhyme if I'm going to consider them separate? According to Opie and Opie, Little Robin Redrest Sat Upon a Tree was first published in 1800. It included an accompaniment for piano compiled and written by Robert Burchell in the Musical Circulating Library, and I'll talk about what that means in a minute. The rhyme also appears in Songs for the Nursery, 1805, London Jingles by J.G. Rusher, 1805, Ditties by J.T. Wood, 1850, John Orchard Halliwell's Collection in 1853, and in Correspondence in 1846. So we can see that this version was around from at least the 1800s. Again, it may have been adapted from that previous version, but as I mentioned last week, robins were very common or are very common in England, and I see them in a lot of different nursery rhymes. So this could have been written completely independent than the little robin redbreast I mentioned last week. But who knows? In The Only True Mother Goose's Melodies, 1833, there's a slightly altered version in the second verse, and it reads as follows. Little Robin Redbreast sat upon a tree. Up went Pussycat and down went he. Down came Pussycat, away Robin ran, says Little Robin Redbreast, catch me if you can. Little Robin Redbreast jumped upon a spade. Pussycat jumped after him, and then he was afraid. Little Robin chirped and sung, and what did Pussy say? Pussycat said meow, 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 and Robin flew away. And I included this version because there's a really cool illustration of the robin sitting on a spade. I don't know if the lyrics are suggesting that the robin was going to hit the cat with the spade or what was going on, but I did want to include it because it included a second verse that was slightly different than the one I had read earlier. But now that we have heard these versions and I've given you a bit of history behind the rhyme, let's go ahead and listen to some of the audio recordings. Now, last week I played two versions. I played a known Frank Luther version from the 1940s, and I played an unknown version that 
sounded like Frank Lopez, but it had no identifying marks on the record or the publication. But I guess it was probably around the same time, given the voice and the quality and just kind of kind of get an ear for what decade these things were published. And I think that the versions I played were from around the 1940s. This week, I will start with a spoken version from the Florida Center for Instructional Technology, part of the University of South Florida, read by Lorraine Montgomery. You can find it on the FCIT website, which I link in the blog. And if you are a teacher and are listening to this podcast, FCIT also includes student activities with, in addition to the audio and the reading, which I think is really handy, especially if you're trying to teach nursery rhymes in a literature setting. But let's go ahead and listen to it now. Little Robin Redbreast. Little Robin Redbreast sat upon a tree. Up went Pussycat and down went he. Down came Pussycat and away Robin ran. Says Little Robin Redbreast, catch me if you can. Little Robin Redbreast flew upon a wall. Pussycat jumped after him and almost got a fall. Little Robin chirped and sang, and what did Pussy say? Pussycat said, mew, and Robin flew away. Read by Lorraine Montgomery for lit to go On the web at fcit.usf.edu. Very straightforward, very well read. Great job. I love that. This information is on the website and available to teachers and mothers and anyone who wants to learn more about nursery rhymes. The second version that I'm going to play is from 1922, so quite old, and it is sung by our friend Alice Green. Now, I've played some of her work before, but as I mentioned, when I go to look up her biography and more about the singer, I cannot find a single thing about her except that she was in her teens when she recorded this. But we do know that she was a soprano who published a few different recordings for Victor Records. This version has different lyrics, and it could be its own nursery rhyme. I wanted to play a second version, and I wanted to include it because it was from the early 20th century, and I'm a sucker for these Alice Green recordings. So let's go ahead and listen to it now. Short and sweet and to the point, right? But again, I wanted to include it. I love these old recordings, and I love that I can look up recordings from the early 20th century to include in this podcast. So there we have two versions of Little Robin Redbreast for your enjoyment. But let's move on and look more to the poem. Now, there isn't much more that I wanted to add to my analysis that I discussed that I did last week in regards to the lyrics of the poem. It's a pretty straightforward nursery rhyme talking about native flora and fauna that a young child would recognize. And I even included the finger play that was talked about in the original version. And I suspect that the version I read today could have some finger play or some hand motions or some more acting out. We have the cats and we have the up and down and things of that nature. However, I did want to talk more about a name that I uncovered 
when I was doing some more research. So this is sort of a hybrid episode, I suppose. It is an episode about a nursery rhyme and an episode about a historical person in the field. The name Robert Burchell popped up when I was looking at where this nursery rhyme was first published. I did a quick search, and it turns out the Burchell was instrumental in collecting and sharing music. In fact, if ethnomusicology is your thing, there's an entire book about Burchell and his collection. It's called Burchell's Continuation of Bland's Collection of Divine Music Consisting of Psalms, Hymns, and Anthems. And the title's a little bit longer from there. But Burchell, as it stands out, was actually a really big name in collecting music and literature. And not only that, but he didn't hoard it. He wanted other people to see it. And so his name crops up here and there in British advertisements to try to get the word out there that he had this literature. A lot of it was divine liturgical pieces, and they were available to study or to read. And much like the nursery rhyme we talked about today, some of this even included, you know, scores in which you could play. So I thought that was really neat. He even has an entry on the British Museum's website lauding his historical collections. In a short biography reads, Robert Birchall from 1750 to 1819. One of the important London music publishers, from his early imprints, we learn that before commencing business, he was employed by William Randall at Walsh's old shop in Catherine Street. He probably lived here on Randall's death and set up his own business with Hugh Andrews, 129 New Bond Street, sometime near 1780. After his partnership with Andrews, who continued publishing separately, Virchel appears to have pushed his business forward vigorously and to have established an extensive musical circulating library, rapidly coming to the front as a publisher. About the end of the century, he published a quantity of Italian vocal music, then in such great demand, much of this in an oblong folio. A great number of glees also appears singly as well as in large collections. Horsley's and Calcott's several books in oblong folio. He issued many single pieces of handles and altogether a massive sheet in other musical publications much too large to indicate. One of a series was a reissue and a continuation of Campbell's Country Dances and Stratsfee Reels in oblong quarto. This extended to at least the 27th book, circa 1811. The set was originally commenced by William Campbell, the music publisher, but Birchall acquired the plates. After making his business one of the largest of its kind in London, Robert Birchall died in 1819. The firm, now or shortly after 1821, became Birchall, Lonsdale, and Mills. In 1830, it was Lonsdale's and Mills, and before 1838, there were two separate C. Lonsdale's going to 26 Old Bond Street, in R. Mills retaining the old address at 140. Richard Mills was a nephew of Robert Virchow from 1868 to 1896, and the business continued as Richard Mills and Sons. That was a short biography published by the British Museum about Virchow's life, and I felt it incredibly important to include it because 
These are the people that are keeping nursery rhymes alive and being able to pass them down generation to generation. And this is before the internet, so it was much more difficult to do so. But like many people I talk about on this podcast, Birchall's research focus wasn't nursery rhymes. And in his case, it was spiritual or liturgical music. However, he had a huge historical impact on the collection of children's music, especially through his musical circulating library. 1978 article in Musical Times Publications Limited, writer Alec Hyatt King talks about just how amazing these circulating libraries were, as well as laments that little is still known about them. And I actually had never heard about these musical circulating libraries before I wrote this podcast episode. I'm not an ethnomusicologist and music is not my strong suit. So if you're really into music, you probably know about this a bit more. But I was really excited to learn about it the first for the first time. In any case, King writes that most of the libraries were maintained by music publishers, but a few were part of self-sufficient independent organizations. Birchall's collection was one of these. He notes that Birchall's circulating library began in 1786 to 1819 by Birchall, Lonsdale, and Mills, the publication company on Bond Street, and then personally maintained by Birchall until his death and then taken over after his death until about 1860. How awesome is that? Birchall and others maintained personal libraries so that music and literature could be accessed by others, allowing for some of these nursery rhymes to be continued to be passed down and learned. If you'd like to learn how, how Britain musical circulating libraries worked, check out my reference list on the blog. The article I referred to by King has like the rules and the advertisements from these advertisements from the 19th century talking about how to use these libraries, which I am just tickled by. I think it's really cool to see how these libraries were used. And of course, I'm really spoiled as an American because our library system is awesome. And I know that I can go out and check out any book or music or movie that I want to very easily. But in the 19th century, this, you know, wasn't quite as easy as it was today. And so it's people and companies like Birchell's that allow these things to continue to be used by the public or continue to be used by others. So go ahead and check that out. But there we have it. Well, I didn't have much to add on last week's episode where I began to talk about nursery rhymes, about red-breasted robins. I certainly wanted to have a second episode where I differentiated between the two rhymes, as well as talk about another pivotal historical figure in nursery rhyme research. I feel like these names and libraries can be so easily lost to time, which is why I feel it's important to talk about them on the podcast. But nevertheless, I want to thank you for listening this week and continue to listen in next week and the weeks that follow, where I continue to talk about the weirdness of nursery rhymes. Thank you for listening to a Tisket Tasket podcast. We hope you learned something valuable today. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss a future episode. If you found value in today's content, please share with others and consider leaving a review. Also, follow Gina on all social media platforms, and we'll see you next time.